We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're honored to interview my former boss, Andy Armanino. Andy, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thanks, Ron. It's nice to be with you. You too. Uh, you started your career with Arthur Young, and then uh, joined Armanino, the firm that your dad built in 89, becoming the youngest uh, partner. And then in 2005, you took over as managing partner. But before we get to you, Andy, I'd love to learn more about your dad because this is the 50th year anniversary of the founding of the firm, and that's a milestone. And I, I read somewhere that you once described your dad as a strong but kind leader. Tell us about your dad. I'm not sure as a kid growing up, I would have described him as a strong but kind dad. Um, you know how things go. As people age, they become mellower and mellower. My uh, kids and all my dad's grandkids would say he is the kindest, gentlest man you could ever imagine. My recollection as a kid was, yeah, he was kind, but he wasn't always as gentle. Um, but he, he definitely installed uh, a number of things in his kids, and that was uh, do right, um, do good, uh, work hard, and what you do matters. And for him, he actually was a guy that went to work for the big eight back in time after graduating with an accounting degree. He spent about five years at the, at the big firm becoming a manager. Um, and like a lot of people, he got to the point where it was painful to be at the bigger firm because he couldn't serve clients the way he felt like he wanted to. Mm -hmm. He wanted to have a unique relationship with clients where he felt like what he did mattered to their business and to their lives. And so he left the big eight with his best friend, Tom Jones, back in time. And they started a little teeny firm with the two of them. They, uh, you know, set out some simple goals to do things right, like I talked about, have a unique relationship with client and be good to their people. At first, that was very simple because their people was the two of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they set a goal of growing one person per year. And I actually joined them about 20 years after their start, exactly 20 years after their start. And there were 22 people when I joined. So they checked the box. They 20 people in 20 years, and they, they hit their goal, they said. Wow, that's great. And is your dad, he's still alive, isn't he? He is. He lives in a little beach community of Capitola. Um, and I actually really appreciate the chance to talk about him because he is now a, just a wonderful example of a human being. After he retired at a relatively young age, 54, um, he's given back to his community he shows up and feeds the homeless in his community two days a week and 
He basically has uh, been a one-man crew at his church holding it together the last number of years, but he's tried to give back and do good basically every day since he's retired from this line of work. So he's been a great example, not only in business, but how to live your life. He must be incredibly proud of what you did and what Matt continues to do with the firm. Yeah, he is. We're, we're lucky. We have a unique relationship where um, he's dad. He's also a great friend. Uh, and for me, he happened to be, when people ask the question, hey, Andy, who influenced your business life? And there's a lot of people over the years, but by far and away, the number one person who influenced how I kind of approach business, my thoughts about how we were going to do things was my father. He got, I was lucky. We I got to have uh, a relationship that from a work standpoint could have gone one of two ways. My friends, when I came to work here said, two camps, you're crazy. It's going to be miserable. You have a great relationship with your dad. You're going to ruin it. Or the other camp was, hey, you and your dad do have a great relationship and this is going to be the best thing that, that ever happened. And for me, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened. He was a wonderful, wonderful mentor from a business standpoint. And I don't mean to jump ahead, but you, you brought it up that he retired at the age of 54 and you retired at the end of last year or this, this you know, 2018. And you, you were around the same age. Was that the inspiration you were kind of following in your dad's footsteps? So I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily say it was his footsteps. Um, we were about the same age. I, I beat him to retirement by a few months is what I tell him. Um, but what I've always believed in and what he believed in, um, and what I learned from him because he did it really well is I believe in youth. I believe in supporting the up and coming, uh, leaders in our practice. I believe that people when unleashed can do far more than we ever think they can do. I got that opportunity at a young age, uh, and was I ready to do some of the things the firm asked me to do? Um, <laughs> at the time, I would have said yes. Uh, in hindsight, with a little more wisdom, I'd say, no, I wasn't ready. But you know what? I figured it out. Um, and I believe our people are the same. They are unbelievable. Their potential is unbelievable. And for me, um, I tried to stay very relevant and very innovative um, even up till the end. And there's a lot of people that said, God, you could keep going. You're, you're an innovator. And what I realized is if I kept going, it doesn't allow the space and room for others to expand where they could. And I think that's what the firm's experiencing now. So I always knew I would leave at a relatively young age because of my belief in, in youth and supporting that upward flow of ideas and, and energy. And, and Andy, just so our listeners know, I mean, I know you, you would expect the managing partner, the son of the founder to say those things, but I, I've been with Armanino since April of last year. And one of the reasons I joined is you do have an innovative and a young partner culture and they are entrepreneurial and they are incredibly innovative and they are wickedly smart. Uh, it's just, it, it's just unbelievable how you're able to develop this talent and I've just been so impressed. And, you know, Andy, you and I have had really frank discussions and we've had our debates and our disagreements. So I hope, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. I truly mean that. 
I appreciate that. And and I think you, you have a unique perspective, at least for this interview, because you've seen some of what we've done. And for me, I know I get the most excited. I think about all the different things that we've done at Armanino and all the things that we've accomplished and the growth and some of the rewards we've received and some of the comments the peers make. And the thing I get the most excited about is when I get a chance to work with our young people. Um, it's one of the reasons that we formed something called the SAB, which I don't know if we'll touch on at all, but the staff advisory board way back in time, which is an interesting story on how that happened. And then a manager advisory board. And those two boards at Armanino have real voice when for young people, both at the staff level and manager level to have impact on the direction of our business. And when I'm working with them, it's good days, very good days. As you've seen, Ron, you know, partners are, uh, you know, some days are wonderful to work with partners. Some days it's not wonderful. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I like working with our young people and some of those days working with partners I don't miss. <laughs> I, I totally get that. And, and what, because I've had some interaction with both of those groups, the SAB and the MAB. And what really impresses me is the firm, the partners give authority to these people to, to lead initiatives. I'm, I'm working on one right now with members of the you know, management team and it's phenomenal because it's a big initiative and it, it would have a big impact on the firm. And to, to be able to have that type of autonomy at that, at that level, I think is fairly unique. Well, and I think, I don't know if we'll have time or not. And you let me know the story of the SAB itself and the concept behind it, how it was formed. I think your listeners would find it interesting. Go ahead and go ahead and talk about it, Andy. We have a few minutes before okay. this breaks over. Okay. Just let me know when um, to cut me off here. But so I heard a speaker back in time years ago. Her name was Rebecca Ryan. Very interesting person. Um, at the time, she was a, a young person that was about six foot, I don't know, six foot two woman with red hair on stage. She <laughs> right away told everyone that she was a lesbian and uh, this is the audience of a bunch of managing partners. And when she looked out, she said, you guys, I see a lot of uh, wrinkles, gray and white. And so she really endeared herself to her audience from the get-go. Sure. Um, I thought she was wonderful. She brought up a concept of empowerment. And one idea that she touched on is how she asked a question, how many of you have a board of your young people, your staff people or your managers, where you actually listen to them and hear their ideas and not a single hand in the room went up. And there was, this is a large meeting of managing partners. After the uh, session, I went up to Rebecca and introduced myself and said, Rebecca, we're gonna do it at Armanino. And she looked at me and she said, Andy, it's nice to meet you. No, you won't because I, I've talked to this group and your profession a long time and um, you know, people shake their heads, but they don't put some of the things in action. This accounting profession is amazing um, at the lack of change that happens. And I said, Rebecca, we're going to do it. And we did. We went back and we actually had a process that we put in place where you had to raise your hand if you were a staff person, if you wanted to participate, and then you had to be elected by your peers. And the first group was a group of about 12 people that got elected from all of our di different disciplines in offices at the time. And I actually was their executive sponsor. And in the very first meeting, I asked the group, what's wrong with our firm? And at first they were very shy, managing partners or CEOs in front of them and they don't want to tell me what's wrong. And 
pretty soon someone said something and then the juices started flowing and I had a bunch of whiteboards in the room and my hand got tired of writing all the things that were wrong. Um, and then I said, guys, this isn't going to end up as a session that we're just going to complain. Now it's your job to prioritize, pick the three items that you want to work on changing and you're going to be empowered to change them. And that's how we started 10 plus years ago and it's evolved since then. But it is an amazing group of people, powerful lesson for them in early leadership. And you get to watch these people solve problems that most partners would say they can't solve that. But guess what? They can. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, you know, there's a great book. You've probably read it. It's from the uh, dean of Oracle University, and it's called Rookie Smarts. And the argument is to put rookies in charge of initiatives, and they tend to be on the young side because they do bring fresh thinking. They do look at things from a different angle, but they'll still consult the experts as well. And I think that's what's so powerful about this. It's just a great initiative. Agreed. Well, Andy, this is great. Unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get ahead of, uh, in contact with Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We will post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com of our interview with Andy and where you can learn more about him. And in the meantime, we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise our guest today is andy armanino the retired managing partner of the 
Armanino firm. And uh, Andy, first of all, nice to officially meet you sort of on the, on the, on the radio here, and I'm glad to get a chance to, to talk to you today. But my first question is um, all that stuff you were talking about with Ron, uh, why'd you make this hiring mistake? <laughs> that, that is, I, I mean, I get a good chuckle because you obviously know Ron. Um, you know, I, I actually, and I can't remember, Ron might, but I can't remember the first time I heard Ron speak. Um, but one thing my, my brother always says about me, who's the current CEO at Armanino, is I love uh, hearing from and working with really intelligent people. So um, I'll compliment Ron a little bit. And, you know, his presentation was, it made me think. And it, clearly Ron was a very bright guy and had some different ideas. Um, I have never been afraid of different ideas. Um, matter of fact, I, I love um, being challenged on things. And so Ron and I have had some great debates about a variety of, of topics and uh, it certainly wasn't a mistake because I think Ron's helped move our practice forward. Well, to, to steal a line from, I think Ron knows the actual author of this, but if you think it's difficult arguing with Ron, try agreeing with him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've experienced both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to that, to that end, I did want to ask you about this and it, just pick up a little bit on the story that where you became the 22nd employee and that was right on target with what your dad was trying to do with the firm. Obviously, there were some significant changes and you went through a, a period of, of pretty explosive growth. And I wanted to talk to you about that from the people side of things. What were some of the things that you put in place to make sure that you did get the right people, the right hires? And clearly you have, because you talk so highly of them in this interview. So I want to know what, what is it about your hiring process or culture that makes you able to stick, stick to that and get those great people? Yeah. And I think you hit a key word there is culture and I'll come back to that. But for me, it was uh, when I got to the firm, it, the firm had a really wonderful culture for a small firm. Um, very hands-on. My dad and his part, founding partner, Tom Jones, did exactly what, what they said they would do. They created an environment where they were having impact on clients' lives. Um, in fact, when my dad retired, we threw a party and the speakers were mainly clients and it almost put tears in your eyes hearing what an impact that he had had on their business so right in line with what they wanted. The other piece of that was having a great place for people to, to work at. And at the time, it was much a family environment. As we grew, and I learned a lot, um, those initial years coming from the big eight where that, that feel was not the same feel. Um, it was very much, you know, if you're good, you're going to keep moving. If not, get out of the way. Um, so I learned a lot about our culture and, and what it meant to be part of Armanino. Um, I think that culture continued to evolve as we grew. Uh, we stressed the, the idea of people having voice, of being innovative. And to be innovative, you have to hear different things and you have to, you have to be willing to challenge your different beliefs to make yourself better. Um, and so we've, we've done that. And I think what happened is, um, not only were we a firm that was growing rapidly, doing good things, but we're also good marketers. And I'll be very honest about that. I hired uh, back in time one of the first marketing directors um, that an accounting firm 
most accounting firms didn't do it. Marketing was a bad word. It wasn't to us. And we hired a marketing director who at the time was a rare breed in the profession. She was very good at what she did. And she helped us to advance to be one of the best, if not the best marketing um, firms in our profession. And so not only were we doing good things and creating a culture, but we were getting the word out there. And it allowed us to attract a talent base that firms our size just could not do. And so what, if from a hiring standpoint, though, was there any type of process that you guys put in place to make sure that you were getting the right hires? Did you, did you take a while for hiring or it, just describe that for me? Yeah, and if I'm real honest, Ed, is at first it was very haphazard. Um, yeah. If you look at our process today, it's very formalized. One of the things we did back in time as we were growing, and we had this concept that we were going to be more than a core accounting firm, meaning we were going to do more than the compliance audit work, which is important in our profession, and and it's something today that's still important at Armanino, but we were going to be more than that. We were going to be more than a compliance tax firm. And so as we branched out into other areas, what we didn't try to do is hire accountants or CPAs to do jobs that they weren't really trained to do. What we did is, as we built our consulting practice, is we hired really good consultants. Um, and we were fortunate again to, to have this culture and this growth engine and we were doing really well, so people wanted to be part of it. Um, so we had a lot of diversity um, in our hiring practices. We look for di diverse ways of thinking. The other thing I will say that we did fairly early on um, from a not really a formal standpoint, but something that was very important to us is that most accounting firms kind of look at grades, uh, especially for their young people. How well did the people do in terms of GPA at their college? Well, that's important. I mean, it shows that people are intelligent and they're willing to work hard, but it doesn't tell the whole story. One of the things that we did is we focused on communication skills. Can this person talk in an interview? Do they have a personality? Do their eyes light up with a spark when you're talking to them that clients are going to see? And will they be a good teammate? Things like that. So we did that from a very early stage and it's certainly become more formalized over the years. And then, of course, you started to become, um, one of my favorite words, acquisitive. Yeah. And, and talk to take on other firms and, and bring them in under the Armanino name. What did you look for when acquiring firms? Because that's a whole nother ball of wax, and oftentimes they don't quite go as well. So there's not a big, great track record in the accounting profession for mergers and acquisitions to be long-term successful. Yeah, I agree with you. There, I mean, there's a bumpy road out there of, of the merger acquisition uh, past and future in our profession. It still continues at a rapid pace. I think for us, we were very disciplined, meaning that uh, we knew culturally what we wanted to be, and what we were, and what we wanted to be going forward. And so we looked at a kind of concentric circles. We looked at a firm that was in a great geography. We only to this date, we wanted to be in very strong economies. So that was one factor is, hey, it is the firm that we're looking at in a location that is a very strong economy. Two, 
what are their people like? And every deal that we did, every deal that I did, we required the other firm to let us get beyond the partner group into their managers and sometimes below to talk to people, to see what their people are like. Are they inquisitive? Are they people who are going to have the same mindset about growth that we did? That was the other circle. And then the last circle that was hugely important was the cultural circle and did the firm have a cultural mindset uh, like we did? And if we could find one that had an intersection of those three circles, then it was a, yeah, let's go and let's go and let's go fast. If we found a firm that was in two of those three, you know, it was a possibility for us. If we found one that was one or less, it was, we're not looking at this. Um, and one of the things that happened for us was that there are many firms out there that spend a lot of time seeking out ac acquisition targets we really didn't. Um, we actually got approached by firms that knew about what we were doing and asked, you know, if we would consider having them join us. So that was an interesting dynamic as well. So you did say no to people then? Yes. We said no <laughs> se several times over the years to firms that would like to join us and continue to do so today. Yeah. If, uh, if you can't, if you're not going to say no, your net yes means nothing, right? I agreed. And what, what about, uh, now, despite all that, despite all of the great work that you did on, on being careful and due diligence and making sure that there was a culture fit, there's still going to be things that are going to be challenging when you have a, a merger acquisition type situation come in. What were some of the things that you tried to do to make that go as smoothly as possible, even on those ones that you were like, hey, let's move fast on this? Yeah, and, and I'm not going to tell any stories. Have we had bumps uh, in our process? And the answer is yes. Um, one deal that I worked on years, years and years ago, um, we probably weren't as disciplined that we had our, our circles and you know what, sometimes, and, and I was younger, sometimes you fall in love with a deal. And I've heard this from many M and A people is never fall in love with a deal. And I think I fell in love with the, the concept of doing this deal and it wasn't as good a fit. And what we found is it takes a long time to fix those mistakes. And we did, and we put a lot of energy and effort in, but it, it, it's not simple. I can tell you another quick story. When we did a significant size deal in Los Angeles, um, the concentric circles were all there, but it was outside of our area. It was the first kind of big leap outside of the immediate Bay Area. And so what we did is we rented an apartment down there, a three bedroom apartment, and four of us in our C-suite made a commitment that we would be there. One of us would be there all the time for the first six months that we were together with this firm. So each one of us lived in, in the apartment for, for part of that six months, but it had a huge impact having one of our leaders working with them day to day through some of their struggles and, and hearing the concerns that people had, and there were lots, but it allowed us to handle them and address them on a real-time basis. That, that is a learning, again, that I think that the firm would repeat again if it did a substantial deal. Sure, that's great stuff. Well, we're up against our next break. want to remind you that you can get in touch with Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can go and listen to all of our previous 260 shows, as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The 
future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Andy Armanino, one of the certainly one of the top 100 uh, most influential people in the profession, and a whole lot of other accolades. Andy, I kind of want to go uh, at a 30,000 foot level with you and ask you, what do you think is the most important issue that's currently facing the profession? So I would say two things right now. And one's going to be very obvious. Um, it, it's what most people would say, but the rapid change right now in technology and the impact that's having on our clients' businesses and our businesses, hand in hand with my second item, which is my fear at times for the profession, is we tend to have a fixed mindset about things, that we've done things a certain way, they've been successful, the profession's had a lot of success, which sometimes is an anchor, instead of this growth mindset, and I'm reading an interesting book right now um, on the kind of the next stage of the growth mindset, but um, I think the profession needs to adopt a growth mindset and it needs to embrace technology uh, instead of fighting it. And on the tech, Andy, are you optimistic or kind of pessimistic? We we did an interview with Daniel Suskin, who's one of the co-authors of The Future of the Professions, and he's kind of fatalistic about the number of jobs it's going to knock out of even the professions, including CPAs. Do you see it being a compliment or a substitute? So I know Daniel, and we probably, he and I have had that discussion. Um, I'm the opposite of, of Daniel. I think it is, uh, I'm very optimistic about the potential. Again, if, if this profession, and it won't be all, there will be some firms that don't adapt and don't have a growth mindset. 
and they will go the way of the dodo bird. They, they won't exist. Um, the firms that do adopt the growth mindset, I think what will happen is they will view these t- changes in technology uh, with some excitement. Um, they'll look at it on what it can do for their clients. They'll have a new tool, a number of tools, a number of new tools in the tool belt to serve their client. Um, and they'll adopt, adapt their internal practices to take advantage of technology as well. So I think there will be, there are firms out there that are doing this. And I think they're going to evolve to a place where they're driving more value than they ever could have imagined to their client base. Um, And I think it raises another question that you and I have talked about is making sure then that they capture that value that they're providing their client base. Right. I think some of this change to technology and, and, you know, technology is just sucking hours out of the system and it's really driving the move to, to value pricing uh, largely because you can't have a business model that says we sell hours if those hours are decreasing. So just real quick, I know it's a side note, but I was just in Rome at a uh, world meeting for more global and I got to talk to managing partners from across the world and one of the sessions we did was on, on value pricing. And one of the partners came up to me afterward and said, hey, we're adopting some of this, but the problem is, uh, we're ado- he, sorry, he said, we're making changes to technology today. And what's happening is we're doing some of our compliance work faster and faster. And all it's doing is driving the amount I bill lower. <laughs> and, and I just almost wanted to shake him and say, come on. Um, you've got to be smarter than that. We, we have to now capture that value that we're providing with the use of technology. We spend an awful lot of money investing in technology in this profession. I know Armanino spends a huge dollar amount on technology and we need to, be, we need to capture that value that, that we're investing in it as a firm and, and make sure that our clients appreciate it. Absolutely. And I'm like you, I'm on the opposite side of, of Daniel on this. I, I'm, I've got future glee, as Ed likes to say, because I think all this technology takes away the predictable and the rote work and allows us to move up the value curve with our clients. I agree. I do think there will be, I hate, I hate using the term, but there'll be roadkill along the way <laughs> because, um, again, I get a chance to get out and talk to an awful lot of people and firms in this profession. Um, and I'm excited about the number of firms that are now listening to some of the new ideas, embracing some of the new ways of thinking and, and really wanting to change. But I'm also disappointed at the number of firms that, that have this fixed mindset that, they say, hey, we've been successful. We've heard all this change stuff for years and years. And you know what? It hasn't happened. And I can keep doing what I'm doing for the next X number of years. And, and that's all I want to do. Well, those firms will not be successful in the future. Yeah, I agree. One thing I do love that Daniel wrote in the book is what kills you doesn't look like you. I agree. And, and, and we do have threats facing us from outside the profession, and that's where major disruption can happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think one great exercise every, every firm out there could do, and, and not just every firm, but every business, and we've done it at Armanino, and, and it's something that needs to be updated, um, not on an infrequent basis, but if you get some smart people around the table, and I would encourage people to have a diverse 
smart group of people around the table. Um, and I might come back to that because the book I'm reading deals exactly with that topic. But a diverse group of smart people and think about how would we disrupt this business? How would we kill ourselves? And it, you'll come up with some interesting ways that you can disrupt this profession in your own firm. And it's got to cause you to think then um, on how to address some of those issues that you raise. And, and certainly some of those issues that you raise will not be from traditional competitors. You know, the, I do love that exercise. And, and a, a, a corollary to that is the, the old Peter Drucker question of, if you weren't in this line of business, would you enter it today? And if not, what are you going to do about it? It seems, Andy, that like once we get into something, we'll never exit it. We'll never abandon it. And, and Drucker thought that you needed a corporate abandonment policy so you could move, in, move on to other things. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, and I mean, I love the concept. I was fortunate enough to go to a, a program at Harvard um, three times. I must have flunked a couple of times, but a leadership program I've gone to uh, three different times. And I'll, I'll probably go a fourth and a fifth because I enjoy it so much. But one of the cases that we studied is, is the Netflix case. And it's a wonderful case study. If, those, if all of you haven't read that, it'd be worth ordering from Harvard about how Netflix, a successful company who had disrupted their industry, primarily Blockbuster, decided to disrupt themselves for the future. Right. Um, and they've been wildly successful, but it takes guts to disrupt yourself when you have something that's working because you recognize that we need to be different in the future. And, and it's something I know um, when I get a chance to talk to leaders here at Armanino, I, I stress it and I know current leadership stresses it is we can't fall in love with what we're doing today because it's working. We have to still say, will this work in the future? And do we need to do some things differently in the future that will add more value to our client base? Yeah, I've been saying this ever since uh, I've had the ch every time I have the chance to talk to somebody in the firm, I say the old Andy Grove line, if you're going to be cannibalized, it's better to dine with friends. Oh, yeah. And I love that because if, if we don't obsolete ourselves, there's somebody out there who will do it for us and better to control our own destiny, create our own future. Yeah, Andy, I very, very much believe in that. Yeah, I it was announced a little while ago that you're going to become the chairman of more global as of January 1st. And I, I think that's really, that's great. And it, because it gives you a worldwide perch to kind of view the profession. Do you see similar challenges in the global firms that we have here in the U S yeah. So just for background real quick, more global is a, a network slash association that, um, allows firms to collaborate, um, share ideas, create a platform and a marketplace for some of the unique uh, ideas that are being created today and serve their clients on an international basis. And More Global is one of the larger um, organizations in the world that does this, about $3 billion, over $3 billion in uh, firm revenue. And I've been involved for a number of years um, leading North America and the North American board and uh, recently agreed to um, lead the global board. And your question is an absolute yes. Um, as much as I get frustrated at times with some of the lack of speed and the change of North American firms around the rest of the world, we are um, 
rabbits and they're the tortoise. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it could be a significant issue. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm glad that you're stepping in as chairman because maybe you'll bring the same innovative spirit and entrepreneurial spirit that you brought here in the U S. So that that's fantastic. And congratulations on that. Thank you. I promised change for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Andy, what are you most proud of during your time as chairman of Armanino? So I get that question a lot and it's almost, you know, I think of so many different things here. And it's unfair question. Yeah, I agree. it's almost it unfair. I, it is. I think of faces. I think of clients that I got to work with over the years and have impact on their business. I think of, for me, my largest client that I kept as managing partner and CEO was the Catholic Church that. I got a chance to do so many different things to, to help um, an organization that needs a lot of help. And I think of the, the faces of those people. I think of internally um, some of the young people here that I've just had an opportunity to sit and talk to, um, share, share ideas, share stories. And, um, you know, you can call that mentoring. You can call it whatever you want. But I got, I've had the opportunity to work with so many of them that later became partners in this firm or went on to great success in other places, which is great too. So I think about all that. And then the last one I think about is my dad and, and Tom, when they founded the firm, kind of had these two pillars, be have this unique relationship with clients that I've mentioned and have a firm that is really good to its people. Well, I got a chance to add a, a third leg to that stool and that's through the Armanino Foundation, the formation of the Armanino Foundation and, and that's being good to your community. And what I'm most proud about in the Armenino Foundation is the amount of people here that support the foundation. Um, typical charitable foundations, uh, corporate foundations, if you get 25% participation out of your employee base, it's really good. We set the goal to do that in year one, and mm -hmm. we did. Um, and we far surpassed that now. And so, it's meaningful to our people to do good things in our community. And that's great to see. That's awesome. Andy, real quick, just, I have to ask you, cause I know you were an inveterate reader and you and I used to talk about books all the time, but what's your favorite non-business book? <laughs> um, non-business just for fun. Uh, oh man. I love the Lord of the Rings series. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, Andy, Ed's going to take you home in the next segment, but I just want to take the opportunity to thank you so much for coming on the Soul of Enterprise. It's way, way overdue. And, and congratulations on chairman of More Global and, and best of luck. And I hope you come back on. Thanks, Ron. All right. Well, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. 
Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, once again, we are back with Andy Armanino and, and Ron, this uh, hour goes by quick, especially when we have such a great guest like Andy on. I, I can't believe that we're 45 minutes in already. <laughs> but, um, Andy, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the implementation of value pricing at Armanino. And we, I joked about the, the hiring mistake, but in all seriousness, what, what led you to say, hey, listen, we really got to do this and we got to start doing this now? Um, so, as I mentioned, I listened to Ron some years ago and, and we developed a relationship after that first time I heard him and we had him back to one of our rallies. We don't call a most part, most uh, partnerships. Most firms in our industry have, have retreats. We, we call them rallies. I didn't like the term retreat because it, it implies going backwards, not forward, but we had them at our rally and um, you know, it was one of the most popular subjects that we had ever talked about at our rally. And what it told me is it was the right time to start thinking about doing this from a, on a firm-wide basis. And what we thought is we were gonna really struggle to do it. We bought in for the most part, and there are always hurdles, and I can talk about some of those hurdles. But in general, because we have had this firm that is used to change, is used to doing some things different, and I told Ron this, we are the right firm for Ron to come and help us put in place some of the ideas that he's had for years and years in this profession. And so that's why we brought him in to Ron in to help with this. Um, I think it is so logical to say, how do we go have a different kind of discussion with our client about our relationship and the value they perceive in that relationship? And then for us, how do we capture that value the right way? Um, It is very logical to me. Unfortunately, it's not as logical to some of um, our partners and there are hurdles along the way. It's a massive education campaign and you have to get people good at doing this because they're not by their name. They haven't been trained to do this. Yeah. And let's talk about those hurdles. What, what were some of the ones that maybe surprised you as the one that you didn't anticipate? Um, well, some of them, yeah, I, I think that's a very good question because some of them you do anticipate. Some of the partners, I, I probably could have listed out some of our resistance and who they'd be um, for Ron, and and they were. Um, and they continue to be a battle at times. But um, 
I think some of the hurdles that maybe we didn't anticipate is those people who really embraced it, um, the amount of, of kind of practice that you need, um, the ability to go out there, have those discussions, and then get good at, you can have a great discussion with a client, but then coming back and pricing it correctly, um, I was surprised that, that people probably weren't better from the get-go. And I also think that this is, uh, I have great stories on this if we had time, but in left, when you leave pricing to the partner's hands that are untrained, they will underestimate the value that they bring over and over again. Even if the client has told them they're willing to, the value that we bring is great. And so um, pushing the envelope uh, on pricing, I was surprised that partners weren't better at that. That they, that they weren't more aggressive in their pricing yes. and will, willing to do that? Okay. Yes, that they didn't perceive. One of the hurdles is they don't perceive themselves the value that they bring to their clients at times or they perceive it, but, but not in a big enough way. Yeah. And well, I think and one of the things that Ron and I talk about is that that's why actors and sports people have agents because it's extraordinarily difficult to price yourself. And yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way, what you're doing is a, in a partner in a CPA firm is, yeah, you're pricing the work that others are going to do, but it's really about your relationship with that, that customer at the time, that client at the time, and you're pricing yourself and you're just not as good when you're pricing somebody else's stuff. I totally agree. And that's why I think, and, and Ron talks a lot about, it. I know both of you do about making sure you have experts, um, you, that you have a true skill set in pricing. And we've developed that now at Armanino. And I think it's incredible. I, I know a couple of Ron's disciples here and I read some of the information they put out and you know, I'm like, wow, it's good. So you need those people, but it doesn't happen in mass. And what you have to recognize is, and it's again, very logical. We have partners that have all kinds of different personality types. Some people are very comfortable in those discussions. Some people will value themselves can value themselves and others are just far less comfortable. Um, and I don't think Armanino and Ron, I'd be almost curious to get your voice on this. I don't think um, at times we've made the decision to say, you know what, certain people just should not be involved in this process at all, period. <laughs> I wish we would, but <laughs> I, that's very difficult to do in a partnership model. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and it's really, does, it doesn't make them bad people. Right. It's just that, that that's just not a competency. And just like you wouldn't put somebody who's a tax expert on a on an audit, you just do, don't give them the pricing authority. Well, well, and I think this goes back to the, this whole thing about having a fixed mindset is, hey, I've always done it a certain way. I'm, I'm successful enough. Um, I have a relationship that's enough with my clients. I, I there are partners here that over the years I looked in their eyes and said, you know what? If you make a mistake on this client, we're fired. Um, if another partner down the hall makes a mistake on their client, they get out. They get out of jail free because they have a relationship that is an open, deep relationship with their client. And it, needless to say, that carries over into pricing. And turning to what do you think went a little bit better than expected? Um, well, I told Ron that the tax group would be impossible. Um, <laughs> And, and at first there, I think, and continues, um, you know, you always have to get over some resistance, but 
Um, I think we had a partner in particular, Jerry Clancy, who initially kind of threw up his hands and said, I don't, I don't buy in. He went and met with Ron for a couple hours and they spent some time really digging into it. And Jerry came back and said, I'm in. I will be um, one of the champions in the tax practice. And some of the kind of more, um, more compliance related things on the tax practice I thought would be really difficult. But we've had better buy-in than I would have would have expected there. Well, that was actually the voodoo doll that Ron built to that guy. That was the, he did work. <laughs> well, it worked. Arm. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you, we got about a minute or so, two minutes left. What advice do you have for young people entering the profession? Uh, I mean, I, again, I love speaking to young people. What I try to do is giving them, give them an inspiring message about what's possible in this profession. Um, don't come in and think that, um, and I, I pound, Ron might have been at the partner rally. I pounded the tables one time when people said I'm a tax person or I'm an auditor. And, and I slammed the table and said, you're more than that. You are a client advisor, you are a counselor, you are someone that your client depends on, you can make a difference. And so that's the message I try to bring to young people today is you can do a ton in this profession. Clients need help. The world is crazy out there for them and they need people who will sit with them, listen to them, and then try to drive value. And it's exciting, it's, it's, it's amazing today what's possible. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you were looking for in your hires as well as the people who can effectively communicate. And it's funny, the more we get technology, the more that the ability to communicate effectively one-to-one becomes more important because the, the, the touches are just less frequent sometimes because of the technology. I think marrying technology with the human touch, is that is success in the future. And I totally agree with you, what you just said. It's going to be more important than ever that we touch humans. That's something a machine can't do. We can emotionally affect our clients um, and it's important to do so. Yeah, yeah. So, so even though Watson is diagnosing disease, you don't want to hear it from Watson that you have cancer. Simple yeah, as that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has just been absolutely fantastic and we really appreciate you you coming on and spending some time with us today and, and sharing your, your wisdom and knowledge to our audience. And as Ron said earlier, we, we do hope you come back. I appreciate it, guys. It was fun and I'd be happy to come back. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. Thanks, Andy. Well, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Free Rider Friday, Ed, for October. I can't believe it's the end of the month. Oh, unbelievable. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post our show notes with Andy and where to learn more about him. And also, you can contact Ed and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. 